0: Right, I'm talking to Amber Quigley. Hi. Right, that's right, yes. isn't it? <laughs> he just looked at me like that was the wrong thing to say. <laughs> you want to be anonymous? Yes. <laughs> okay. No. I'm talking to.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Welcome to. We're recording in, in my school. You work at a school.
2: I do work at a school.
0: Now, how many years have you been teaching?
2: Uh, Just over a year.
0: Now, you can experience this, but no one at home can. One thing they don't teach you about school and teaching is, what do you do if it's a Friday afternoon and they decide to fertilise the school oval and so the entire school smells like shit?
2: Apparently you stay and record a podcast. That's
0: right. Well, I did think that. I was like, oh, this is a bad idea. Everyone else, as you can see, has cleared out because it... At around 2.30 this afternoon, it was something.
2: Well, that's when the sun hit, wasn't it? Yeah,
0: and so yeah. the wind picked up and the sun hit and we're like, we're in direct line and just hit the whole school. And apparently, I I can't recall because it happens every year, I guess. This does happen every year and it usually sticks around, <laughs> sticks around for a few days. So we'll come back on Monday.
2: It couldn't have been like, what was it, two weeks ago during holidays?
0: No, there's a lot. Last year when I worked here... They were doing, they had to take all the scaffolding off. Mm. So it was only built 12 years ago. And then that someone realised that the insulation was a fire hazard on the walls, on the outside walls, so they had to take it all down. But they didn't do that in the holidays. They waited till we came back to school. Everyone was highly stressed about COVID. Uh, and then we'd we'll start drilling, literally drilling into the walls next to your classrooms. Um, and, yeah, just carry on. It'll be fine. It'll be over soon, seven weeks or something. That's
2: Perfect. That's anyway, best.
0: that's this is all about me. <laughs> so, how do we know each other, Amber?
2: Uh, almost a Stockholm syndrome-esque <laughs> setup, I think. <laughs> I believe. Wonderful. You. It was what your first year in Canberra that you started teaching me. Nope. Or, no.
0: No. My first year at Just first year at, at your school. Yeah. yeah. When you started u Seven, that was my first year at that school.
2: Yep. Yeah. And. I decided that one, that was the teacher I was going to form an emotional attachment to, and then uh-huh. I followed you around. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so when you say Stockholm Syndrome, are we together, <laughs> or or am I holding you hostage? One or
2: Can the other. We, or one think, or the other. I think okay. it takes turns. Let's
0: not clarify. <laughs> no. Okay. Right. I mean... <laughs> Oh, you mean like sometimes you were holding me hostage?
2: Yeah, obviously. Or like I emotional to, hostage? Yeah, I used to follow you around the school. Right, right. Back when that staff room had a couch, I'd nap on it.
0: Yeah, no, that's true. And it
2: wasn't just you, it was all the rest of the English stuff yeah, I the decided English I form. would keep.
0: So why do you think that happened in Year 7?
2: Oh, that's probably the transition period between primary school and high school. I had yeah. a lot going on in my personal life, and yeah. I think having adults in my life that seemed to pay attention or at least remembered my name was something I was very fond of.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's easy to manipulate Year 7 students if you're like, hello, Amber. Oh, wow.
2: Yeah, in the corridor. Hello, child whose name I learned about 10 minutes ago and right. maintaining I'm learning it. And then later yeah. don't see that side of it. No. As I'm recently learning. Right, as you're
0: learning as a teacher. I've just
2: you... clicked onto that situation.
0: So I've been a teacher now. This is my 22nd year as being a teacher. And this is the first year where I sat in class first day and drew a map of the classroom and put everyone's name on their chairs like and drew it Mm -hmm. and then referred back to it and i learned all their names in like three days 22 years it took me to do that because it was always like five six weeks for me nice so (laughs) i don't know what took me i don't know
2: how to I think I'm going to feel smug now, actually. Yeah, please do. Fact, because please do. that's exactly what I do in my art classroom. Yeah, I right. go, for safety, quote unquote. Safety. For safety. Whatever seat you've decided on now, unless I tell you otherwise, that's going to be your seat. Right, right, you right. You have to make an appeal to me if you want to move. And oh, that okay. way I just remember where the kids are. I'm like, right over there, I know exactly who I need.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah. I don't know why that took me so long, but I was like, well, this is a great idea. And like I said, it's the end of week two. I know all my students' names and I feel really stupid that... I didn't do that. Okay, so you're in year seven. We start calling you by your name, yep. and that's all it takes. Um, from memory, you were fairly isolated. It's a, you were in a fairly small school too. I mm. mean, your year group—I don't know when it started, how many it had.
2: Uh, I think we were under fifty.
0: Yeah, when it started it was under fifty. I think it grew. The, probably the most it had was seventy. Yeah, but and it was then we never shrunk
2: back down by year ten yep. to about. 42,
0: 45. Yeah, and the year below you was even less. They started with mm. 28 or something ridiculous like that. So that was probably when that school was at its smallest and there was talk that you know, it'll have to close. It's well, untenable. That
2: was actually in response to the primary school situation before yeah. that because all of the feeder schools, about three-quarters of them closed down back when I was in primary right, school. Right, yes, that's so right. So there was only the three that we still only have now at that school because I teach at the school i went to which is the fun part that i should add for context to oh podcast. we'll get to
0: that we'll get to that weirdness yeah Lovely. right
2: um so actually i was part of the protest for that little child right. me would yep. skip school with permission from my mum, and we would all go stand outside parliament and protest all the primary schools getting closed down and yep. the one i went to was originally the first that was planned to be closed down but there was a day there was a whole school strike yeah all the school children all the teachers all the admin staff even the local preschool struck like did a walkout And so that school didn't close down, but the three other neighbouring schools did. Yeah. And so I think that's why there were so few students coming through, because all the feeder schools closed. Right. So that's all that was left, because we all knew each other. Even from the neighbouring schools that came in to that high school, we all knew each other because we were the only ones left in the neighbourhood.
0: Right. I didn't never realised. I remember that was when I probably moved to Canberra.
2: Mm, They
0: were doing Save Dixon College, because we were living, living over there. Um, and we were like, what's going on? And they're just shutting down all the schools, and the teachers were striking, and yeah, it seemed like a fun part, fun time. So yeah, it was re- really small. Yeah, and I remember, yeah, you're fairly isolated within that mm. class, within that group. And I mean, year seven and eight, I think it tends to be pretty difficult for mm. nearly all students. It was it particularly difficult for you?
2: In a way, I think it was, but more the social-emotional. I was never brilliant at school, especially in year seven and eight. I was still getting the hang of it, yeah. but I understood you could go in and you do some learning, and then you go home eventually. Yeah. But I had a lot of trouble making friends and part of that came from I had a pretty established friendship group in primary school who all went to a different high school. Right, So all of my inbuilt friends went somewhere else and the other inbuilt friends that I had were more my brother's friends than my friends. Right. So there were people I knew but I didn't feel as comfortable with and as they all began to make friends with the 50 or so kids there were there was people less and less unrelated friends that I could gather myself. Right, And I think for a little while I just either didn't quite bother to make friends if I already knew they had been claimed by a group and didn't feel like breaking into that big social structure.
1: Yeah.
2: Or I made friends with upper year kids right. from a year above me and then because I didn't have classes with them, I only saw them at recess and lunch.
1: Yeah.
2: And that just became a bit of a cycle of rinse and repeat for a couple of months before I settled in with a very specific group that were all also emotionally attached to teachers. <laughs> so that became a thing I think.
0: Right. So now that you are a teacher do you have a more of a sense for those, for the students who are like you?
2: Definitely. Actually, you mm-hmm. might find this amusing. I don't know if I've told you this. Uh, the year 10s, every year they give out awards to teachers yeah, when yeah, they yeah. graduate, those awards. Yeah, I've still my got award, a couple of them.
0: I might have you one probably you gave have me. Ours, yep. yeah.
2: um, Well, my award last year was Teacher Most Likely to Start a Cult, <laughs> <laughs> simply because I had a. An emotional support group, I guess, right, for each right, right. lunch. I had kids that would show up in my art classroom and mm-hmm. vent or just needed somewhere to sit because they didn't have their friends in that day. And yeah. we had the queer club running as well. So yeah. I just have all these kids that follow me around like ducklings whom I love. And those are definitely the names I know. Yes. I know any name. Yeah. But I don't know if it's a like meets like situation, but it's definitely coming full circle of seeing these kids who don't have as many friends or maybe don't feel as connected to the school find a connection, even if that's just having a teacher that they feel safe and comfortable with. And that's really nice to see and to just sort of see the other end of it. And as much as I love it, I can definitely feel the pressure of it, which I don't know if you felt pressure with us following you around, but it's just a bit more context, I suppose.
0: Yeah, what do you mean by pressure?
2: Just to be present for those kids. Like if I have an off day, (laughs) I need to make sure they don't know I have an off day because to them high school is their whole life but to me it's a job that i walk in and out of at set hours and i try my best to remove myself from on weekends and especially being a new educator there's already a lot of pressure to be there and present all the time for students and you have some people going make sure you establish boundaries and some people going in the full drink the kool-aid the teacher is the parent or the third member of that family sometimes Yeah. yeah So, it's trying to find that balance and having these kids who I know definitely use me for emotional support. Yeah. It feels like a bit of pressure sometimes. Yeah. That I don't know if I'm adulty enough to be able to be there for them sometimes.
0: No, I would say you're not. Like, it's mm. a lot, right? I, I know what you're saying, the burden of, of their. I, I think I learn a lot uh, for more clarification. So, when you're in year seven, uh, I think I was teaching Japanese then. I don't know if I was teaching drama. Uh, for, but for the year sevens. And then in year eight, I became your year advisor, and mm-hmm. I was a year advisor for two consecutive years, so year seven and eight. And then as you went through school, I went with you as your year advisor. Mm-hmm. I think I learned a lot in those four years, or yeah, definitely in those four years, of how to distance yourself from that emotion. Mm-hmm. So, and in the job I do now, like in inclusion support, you have to do that where you are. You have to be cold I guess is the way to, to look at it where a student might be in crisis you can't take that on board mm. um, and sometimes that's hard because you do naturally take things on board but what if there's eight students in crisis that day that's not you can't manage
2: yeah and, and that's definitely that's something I've had towards the end of last year a big thing that happened was there was about eight kids that were all having meltdowns together all versus each other yeah. but they were all in my PC class my pastoral care class I yeah. see them every day I'm literally in charge of their pastoral care and somewhat their emotional well-being because I'm a point of contact between their parents and them or their parents in the school yeah. and they were all fighting and I'm like you're all a little bit in the wrong
1: yeah.
2: on one side of it. But they all needed my support. But if I helped one, the other saw it as an enemy move. And it was just a yeah. very interesting dynamic trying to navigate that to the point where I said, mm. I need to draw a line. You all need to take a step yeah. back. If you right. want me helping, if you want this staff member, the person that you come to for emotional support to be helping, yeah. you need to stop making it a me versus everyone else. Right.
0: I mean, that's pretty insightful.
2: Yeah. So... I tried to explain to them, and because at the time it was all year eight girls, yeah. and as
0: Sounds very familiar. once a year eight
2: girl, I definitely could empathise with all sides of the situation. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to to respond to that as yeah. a child to notice that from a teacher or an adult you trust that they might not have just attention for you. <laughs> so it took a little while to get to. That's so
0: well put. Yes, exactly.
2: <laughs> yeah, um, and. We're definitely all in a lot better space now and they themselves have gone back to being best friends which is amazing to see because the last I saw of them, they were still fighting and then that six-week holiday reset.
0: But sometimes they do that overnight. Exactly. And you're like, oh, putting all this effort in. That's definitely one thing that changed, especially with those year seven, year eights. was like, you know what? I'm going to listen, but I'm not really going to do it and I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to invest my time because tomorrow you'll be like, oh, yeah, we're over that.
2: Yeah, I'll listen to you vent. I can be that person. But if you need anything more than that, either you're going to do it or it goes above my pay grade sometimes.
1: Yeah.
2: And as well, and that's a big thing that my school's doing at the moment is having us, the immediate contact teachers, be the good guys in a lot of situations. Oh, is right. They're that's recommending if it is a situation a that we idea. think would endanger our relationship with the student simply because they might think we're picking favourites or if it's something big like parental concerns, yeah. that's something that the SLC can take on or that the higher-ups can take on if it's going to be an ongoing bad guy situation, which I'm finding really helpful, but it does feel because I'm so used to being that emotional attachment for some of these students that had those issues all through last year, it feels a bit weird taking a step back for me, but Mm -hmm. I'm finding it a lot easier to then probably
0: healthier as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm
2: feeling a lot less stressed during the few breaks I get of recess and lunch, not having children at the staff room door knocking and asking very quietly for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, that's I was taught at doing that job was, well, like, what are, you, what are you thinking? Like you can't take care of them outside of school. Mm. So why don't you just support them while they're here? You can't take it home. And that was one of the things where you're like, well, that sounds pretty cold. I'm like, no, just you have to learn how to leave the job and not think about mm. these students because you can't do anything. All you've got to do is just stress yourself out, turn up the next day and they're like, oh, it's fine
2: yeah if we lose sleep it's not like they're going to lose sleep about us which no. definitely sounds cold saying it like that but yeah. teenage mindset you, school is your whole personality because that's the only time you see your friends yeah. that's most of your week but it's different than it's most of our work week because we can still switch off and it's a job and we're adult enough or we've matured enough that we can comprehend that on and off situation yeah. but a lot of teenagers they've got so many thoughts in their head that maybe they can't turn off at the end of the day but right. it's not like they're thinking about us as people
0: that is true they don't see you as a person no no for a it's long like, time for a long time you know like, yeah but i'm a. you can even say to them but i'm a person and watch their especially year seven and eight and watch them like recalibrate that in yeah. their head and be like oh yes well that's obvious but I, I hadn't seen you as a person like it's i don't know it, it is tricky uh, you had a few peers that took up a lot of my time and what tends to happen and you probably found the same is you're like oh my god just leave me alone like you don't need it just becomes codependent mm. and not really help, healthy and not really helpful for anyone if you're just there anytime you feel stress come and see me that's sort of again it seems cold but mm. just maybe feel some stress some of them have much more heightened experiences. Um, what you said before about being favourites, is never. doesn't matter what you do, they always think you have favourites. And the ones that they think are your favourites are not your favourites. No, they're they, usually
2: the ones you have to spend the most time with yes, because they take up your exactly attention. Right. But that doesn't mean you no. want to be talking to them all the time.
0: Even, even listening to you know, my eldest talk about like, her year advisor. She's like, oh, she's always hanging out with her favourite students. They're always talking to her. And I was like, why do you think they're her favourite? Because she's always talking to them. Okay. Now I said, I can't speak for her, but I doubt they're her favourites. Because of that, I think she has to put in the work. But that happens at college. Mm. At the end of the year, I always get students to ask questions. And they, nearly every year, they'll be like, who's your favourite student? And you say, do you think I'm like in year eight, like writing a list of which Girls in the year i want to go out with and ranking them do you think like that's how i'm wasting my time like oh this person's my favorite this week but now they've been replaced
2: you've got some sort of pyramid chart behind yeah. the door yeah and, and they're like oh, oh no i haven't thought names. about that
0: and they're like oh we could guess the, the year 10 class i have here they're, they're the same oh we could guess it's this person and this person and this person okay they're the people that need the most support but to them it's like attention equals like which is you know, I let them think that. That's fine by me. But it's amazing what they, how they view their peers and, oh, they're getting all the attention. That means the teacher likes them. Mm-hmm. It never occurs to them of like, oh, are they getting all the attention because they need, <laughs> they need it. No, no.
2: It's but then if you try to have the emotions conversation with the students of, hey, what you just said has hurt my feelings, or, hey, do you understand that, like, Maybe I don't have favourites simply because this is my job. I don't come in here with the intention of making friends. It's really friends. not my
0: job, yeah, to rank students by their likability. yeah.
2: Maybe my favourite isn't even in this classroom. If I were to have a favourite, you couldn't say that to them because they just wouldn't comprehend it. No. Not even in a mean way they'd think it's an insult. It just doesn't No, occur. and they would say,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. But, but who's your favourite? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly right. Yeah, I know what you're saying, but yeah. No, no, there is a favourite. You've got a favourite. I just say to them, well, who's your favourite? Who's your favourite here? Who's your favourite teacher? Oh, um,
2: yeah. see that moment of guilt where they—it's d- not you. Yeah,
0: and you're like, oh, I like that teacher. And you're like, why? <laughs> why do you like them? Why are they your favourite? Oh, I don't know. It's just weird that you think I'm sitting here trying to work out. I sit there in the class like, who is it today? Oh no, you were first, but you've slipped down to number five. <laughs> Imagine if you did that; would be great—a little live ranking chart. Ugh, you're annoying me today. Down you go.
2: I wonder if that would work though for behaviour management. No,
0: it would not. <laughs> you could do an experiment where you put all the like the supposed good kids at the bottom and all, the, and see how that goes. Probably badly.
2: It would be a small fire immediately. Yeah. In the see classroom. how
0: see how long it took it would take for the students to actually shift their behaviour. You're not allowed to do that. Many people have tried, and I think that's the wave, isn't that the wave? Anyway, um, so. We, Uh, Yes, we met, you were in year seven. Mm -hmm. We went through four years. I was going to say we went through four years together. It sort of felt like that at times. When do you think you started to feel a bit more comfortable in your your own skin, in in yourself?
2: God, probably not until year nine or even year ten. I went through a lot of phases throughout school, not in so much visual. I don't think I ever really got into visually appearing a certain social dynamic but i'm very self-conscious as a person and mm. i put on this bubbly persona which is something i've been thinking about more and more as i've gotten older and being described as bubbly or being described as positive yeah i really don't like the word bubbly no me and neither a student said
0: yeah. asked me well you know i asked what what would you do you want from me and they said oh if you can be bubbly and i was like bubbly that's not going to happen what yeah a-
2: to step away from ditzy without having like (laughs) the stupid comment behind it but i just i feel like there's no nuance on being called bubbly Mm. because it's only one switch you're only ever positive and that positive positivity isn't always founded as well Mm. um but i've had so many people comment on me being bubbly and it feels like a mask and it's something i first started to realize in about year seven I'd been bullied a fair bit in primary school and then losing the few friends I had meant that I felt very alone. Even when I did start making friends, it didn't feel like they were my friends. They were just either hanging out with me because we had classes together or they liked the version of me they saw at school. But Mm. pick me, uh, Manic Pixie Dream Girl, in my brain, (laughs) those theories were starting to come through where I thought, oh, how I present myself isn't actually who I am as a person or my actions especially those automatic actions aren't actually my own choice. So, of yeah. course, that's not the real me. Yeah, And it took me a while, even to university, to come to terms with the fact that your personality is outward as much as it's inward. Mm. And even if you have a mask that you take on, that's still part of who you are. Right. So, it wasn't until year 9 or year 10 that I started being more confident in liking the subjects I liked. Like, I had you for an English teacher right, for a little right, while right. there, and I really yeah. enjoyed English, but yeah. I didn't definitely didn't try to be good at English for the long longest time and I really enjoyed art and I got good grades in art because I tried but I held myself back from doing the things in art that I wanted to do because the friends Mm. that I had in that class didn't like the subject so of course I couldn't like the subject and I just felt like I couldn't interact with the world the way I wanted to not because anyone told me to or anything like that but just I put that limit on myself And it wasn't until I could come to terms with that but that I started to feel confident even just interacting with other people at school. I just followed along yeah. with whatever the people I was with did, which meant I floated around four or five different friendship groups almost as an entirely different person. There was yeah. the bad kids that smoked weed that I would sit next to sometimes. So when I was with them, I'd swear about teachers and tell everyone I hated them. Yeah. And then there were the good kids that I'd study with. And for some reason, I pretended I liked math, even though every time I was in a math class, I was two seconds away from crying. Yeah. But I just did that and no, most of the times people could see through it and they often commented on it, but I kept doing it because yeah. I felt like I had to for whatever reason. And that continued and it started up again when I got to college, I think another new space. Yeah, new
0: space trying on different things.
2: Exactly, and I got really into theatre for a while there and I definitely enjoy it, but I didn't enjoy acting as much as I thought I would. Right. But I was telling people I wanted to be an actor, I wanted that to be my career.
1: Yeah.
2: And at the time I was thinking why am I thinking this? This is stupid. This is not what I'm into. I like yeah. watching movies. I don't want to be in one. That sounds mortifying. Yeah. But I still was interacting in that way. So I think it's been a bit of a stop and start. But definitely in high school, it wasn't until the end that I started feeling yeah. capable, I guess.
0: Yeah, I, I would say, like, that as a year advisor for you, I I don't know. The reason why, certainly from year seven, I sort of paid attention to you in how you were going was because most other students don't seem to have that, um, I guess the effort of trying to work out who they are so present. Now you probably thought that was all hidden, like you said, under the surface and all that. But I could see you like really searching for that. And by the time you got to year 10, it was pretty clear that this is who you were going to be. Um, you'd sort of knocked quite a few of the kinks out of the system, that is you, uh, and, I don't know, had become a bit more accepting of yourself and sort of got away a bit from the, I'm just going to, like you said, floating from group to group. Mm. So that was noticeable. And it's not always noticeable for Year 7s that tend to be constantly worrying about how they're being perceived. But I think you were trying to just work out number one how you want it to be perceived but also who you are and I don't think that second part is as prominent in most students That's, well that was on okay. the surface that was what I was seeing. you know it yourself students yeah. think they're hiding or they think they've got a good cover going and you're like I do know you can see pretty clearly it's just a matter of whether you say that to them as I may have said to mm-hmm. you just to freak them out or to just see
2: I think you told me once that you could see that I was consciously trying to be a person <laughs> And that Sometimes me I out. really
0: question the things I say to students in the moment. I
2: think I was I was in year eight or maybe year nine, and it yeah. was after class, and I was just walking out, and you were like, "You were really personing today." <laughs> it was very strange. Stuck well, maybe there. I think
0: it's like when students are present, like that's the the goal of a class. Now we were you. Or I was going to say we were in a class together, the uh, our year ten English class. When you can get a good class t- or a student really engaged in class. They forget about all the surface presentation and who they're meant to be and they become present. Like, that's mm. the goal, right, of a, a good class is when everyone's present and they're discussing and things are occurring to them in the moment. Definitely. And then when you do that, you're like... Then people say things and all of a sudden you're like, that's the, that's the real them. Like, they say, I'm really worried about blah, blah, blah and then the conversation might move on but they've actually said something real and vulnerable... And haven't been attacked you know high school is a lot of that you know i, I don't want to say or do anything against the norm because then i'm vulnerable and i'll get bullied because that's what usually happens But mm. if you can have a present class then when they do that everyone moves on and that you can see that person it registers in their face of like oh okay i just shared that mm. and no one stopped no one went what they just went, Yeah, I agree. And they might have agreed and felt the same and the conversation moves on. But you can see it in the face of the person of like this relief. They've said it, they're like instantly catch themselves. And then everyone's like, Yeah, we accept that. And then they're like, huh. And then they become personing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they become more of a person. Drama helps with that. You know? What if you can if you've got a good drama class, then the same thing. Art would be the same. Mm-hmm. Get them out of their their head trying to worry about how they're presenting themselves and then they just do something that them that's pretty rare and then it even is like with adults it's just can you just be yourself it's exhausting being all these other people
2: definitely and I saw that really well I had a student last year for a little bit I taught English which is one of the my backing subjects uh-huh. Even though art is my one true love, um, <laughs> I was teaching English, and I was really excited to teach Shakespeare because I was allowed to teach my favorite Shakespeare. And Which I was trying—it's much to do about nothing. All oh, right, yes. Um,
0: <laughs> Benedict and Beatrice.
2: Oh yeah, I just love the sass. Um, but I was trying to amp up some students into it, and the one that was really responding, even though he wasn't saying anything, was this one kid who really struggled with his literacy and was very shy about it. And yeah. he was also in the crowd of boys that only thoughts of basketball these were my year 10s last year and i could see him trying to be present in class and his mum was really pushing at him to try and give it a go because his year 10 was on the line and that sort of thing and he would come up to me after class rather than in class with questions and i'd spend my whole recess trying to sit him down and explain something that he really could have gotten and had gotten but then just got himself caught up about it and I hadn't even started teaching much to do, but I'd been talking about it enough with these kids, trying to amp them up and pump them up for it. <laughs> and he turns to me one day and he goes, so Benedict's sort of like a, like a fuck boy. <laughs> and I said, exactly, yeah. that's it. And he goes, and he just jumps back. He's like, what do you mean? I go, no, you got it. That's exactly what he is, yeah. especially at the beginning. He matures a bit and that's part of the plot is he starts off that way and then accidentally falls in love. Yeah. And that's part of why I really like it. And he goes, oh, so I'll be able to understand it. Because he'd never been able to understand Shakespeare before. Right, right, right. And he'd never actually studied Shakespeare before, but he got it in his head because everyone else else complains that that he'd never be able to understand it. And then by the time we started reading it, he was already switched on enough that he could, if not understand the language, understand the plot. Yeah, and that was really cool to see. Even though he didn't raise his hand once and say things really in front of the rest of the group, I could see that he was following along and that gave him almost confidence that I could see present in his body.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's the students who haven't had much success who just have that defensive quality of like, I'm not mm-hmm. going to get it, I'm, I don't get it, I don't get it. All it takes is one little like, catch where they're like, oh, oh, okay. And no one said you, you are stupid, but that's how they feel. And so once you go, yeah, that's right. And then once the next time you go, I know you know the answer to this. That build that confidence, and all of a sudden they're separate. Mm -hmm. And that's also the time, especially in that senior year nine and ten, when they start to, because nothing annoys me or is harder to watch than people who, like you said, withhold their intelligence to be with their friends. Yeah. You know, they pull, they intentionally hold themselves back because maybe they're doing better or they understand more than their friends but they don't want to distance themselves from their friends and so they just hold them they actually physically sometimes are like "Hmm, no i don't know and you're like i know you do i can see it in your head or you say something or you're reading shakespeare and they laugh when no one else laughs and you're like why are you laughing they're like oh no no nothing nothing you're like okay but you did like you get it and all of that stuff so how do you like deal with the with those students how do you I guess, how do you help people in art, in English? How do you help people come out of their shell?
2: My uh, my best technique is for me to be the idiot in any situation. Uh-huh. Oh, I start off the, the joke. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: If I start off the joke and no one's no one's getting upset that I'm being laughed at or I'm not getting offended by it, then people are more comfortable making mistakes. And especially in art, mm-hmm. that's, that's the important point. thing is your ability to give yourself a second chance or to make a mistake because no art is perfect and I like to use this motto as well art isn't art unless you say it is so if you decide that this thing that you made that you spent three weeks on isn't art I'll just mark it as an assignment it's not an artwork it won't be put up in front of everyone as an artwork it's just Hmm. a thing that you made and that takes some of the pressure off Right. and then especially when I draw something on the whiteboard as an example and it looks absolutely stupid and I put on this dumb smile on my face and stand in front of them and go hey guys what would you rate this and they all say terrible and they're comfortable enough to joke about yeah, that and no, yeah. I'm not going to yell at them then they're less likely to be offended if someone stupidly makes a comment in the classroom that what they made was terrible. Because we've already set precedent that that word doesn't hold power. Right, right, right. And if I'm not afraid to look stupid, then they shouldn't be afraid to look stupid. And everyone's trying and everyone's learning, even the person with the degree that stands in the front of the room. Yeah,
0: the errors are part of it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's part of the process. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. I have a few classes I need to express that with. Now, you're currently working with producer of the podcast, Nick Maniatis. Mm. Now... He said that you did your internship at his previous school and that you were really, really good uh, and used even used your work that you had created uh, and then taken that and used that as well. Yep. And I remember talking to you about it and you were like, "All eh, well, this makes me feel uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. So I've had the same conversation with Nick. But So what is it with praise that makes you suspicious
2: I either didn't get enough of it or i got too much of it <laughs> i think okay i don't know actually i like i said i'm very self-conscious Yeah. more because i judge myself than anyone else i think i like being in the spotlight when i can control it hmm. and if people are talking about me i can't always control that or especially if it's happening behind me like i didn't realize That anything I'd left at that school after I left on my final prac had stayed at that school, especially because the final two weeks of that prac were during COVID lockdown. So I'd been working from home, trying to teach these classes. And in that 10 weeks I was on that prac for, only five of them was in English, which is where Nick was. Right. And the other half was in art. So at that point, I had divorced myself from being there and the mortifying (laughs) ideal of being known and everything. And I... (laughs) And... Nick, at the time, he seemed very far above me because he had been teaching for ages and was this amazing teacher and everyone had lovely things to say about him, which I know will probably make him uncomfortable hearing this. But uh, especially having, I didn't feel comfortable raising my hand a lot then, even though I did it and I just was uncomfortable all the time and Mm -hmm. I felt really good about having put myself forward, but I thought that's it, things are done, I can go on with my life now and start fresh and no one will know who I am and it will be fantastic. (laughs) Yeah. And then I ran into him one afternoon at my school having had a really long, really exhausting, really terrible day and he he said that he was using things that I had made and I was like, that's probably absolutely terrible. My first thought was, it was absolutely terrible even though I was so proud of that and I was using it in my own classroom now.
0: Right, so you make something, you keep using it, you work really hard on (laughs) it on it and now he's saying i used it and you're like that's a stupid idea yes yeah, really
2: really bad <laughs> How you do that?
0: yeah uh. and i was so
2: excited about it. i texted my mum from the car all right so very strange
0: yeah
2: um and i don't know I, I hadn't had any negative thoughts up until that point that it was pointed out to me that it was a good idea and that happens to right. me a lot and yeah I'll have what I think is a good idea and I know it's a good idea and I think if I quietly keep it to myself it will continue to be a good idea Yeah. but the minute I suggest it and it becomes everyone's idea it can go very wrong
1: right right right
2: so I just get to the point where I don't share things. Or okay. when I do, I do it very blasé, like yes. just threw this together. You can have it if you want.
0: Yeah, it's terrible. Yes, I, and this then is a, yes. this is a common refrain. I made this thing and spent hours on it, but it's terrible. You don't have to use it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going to set fire to my computer. I don't know why I bothered. <laughs> this is stupid. Pretend I'm not even deleted. here. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Yeah.
2: Um, and yeah, just it's something that's reoccurred, I think, across that. And having people there get to know me as well has been really good because then they go oh that thing that you made before are you still using that if so can i have the updated version yeah that sort of means that i can continue working with it and it could have been shit before but the updated version is so much better like i have one coworker that sits really near me and she that's the phrase she uses a lot is can i have the updated version yeah which i don't think she consciously realizes that because she's always updating her stuff so it's her terminology that's right yeah so even if i haven't already updated it i can feel a bit better because it's the updated version it's probably better
0: it's, you know it's, what i mean it'll keep being better and when you've been teaching a while i know this is what i do and I, I know this is what nick does you might say all right i'm gonna oh i'm gonna teach i'm teaching a text i've taught before cool oh, i've got all this stuff planned already that'll save me time and then you look and you're like yeah this is terrible and you have to update it you have yeah. to make it better you have to see what's working in the class and how you can change it in all these ways and you're like oh now I've got like shells of everything, and I just have to update them every year. You know, sometimes I wish it'd be easier just cookie cutter it. Yeah, you know that's like soul, soul destroying. Things. Yeah, but it, that you know that's like soul destroying to stagnate and like a shark. Mm. You know I've got to keep moving. So, speaking of not moving, segue. Um, what's it like working at the school that you went to as a student?
2: Ah. Uh It's a mixed bag of feelings. I didn't intend to stay as long as I have. I finished off my prac and there was a term left of the school year. Coming out of COVID lockdown, I had course completed and everyone I knew out of the eight people in my graduating class, which is a terrible number, had already (laughs) had a job lined up. They all got a job out of their prac, which is always the end goal. And I, for whatever reason, hadn't gotten a job at that school and I wasn't really sure I wanted to stay there. Part of it because... Canberra being Canberra mm. you always know someone and my mentor at that school I'd been at for prac Nick's old school
1: yeah. my
2: mentor was my English teacher from college right. who was lovely and I really enjoyed it and it was funny because her mentor when she had been in pr- a prac-y, had been Nick yeah. so he was my grand mentor but <laughs> just having already that awareness there
1: yeah.
2: I felt like that was too much and especially because they'd seen me when I was on prac so if I'd gotten a job there that would have been lovely and I would have gone along with it but I was a bit relieved I hadn't Yeah. Um. And at the time I was living back home and the nearest high school was my old high school. So I put some feelers out with a couple of the teachers I knew that were still there just to see if they needed relief Mm -hmm. while I was looking around for more and I wasn't sure if I was going to move up to Sydney or not because I have family up there and didn't really know what I wanted to do at that point in time. If I wanted to take a bit of a gap year before going straight into teaching or anything like that. And I got a relief placement and it was going to be just a term contract, just cut and copy one of the teachers was going on medical leave for the term, can you take over all their classes? And I thought, this is even easier than real relief because I don't have to try to remember new names every day. Right. I'll just be teaching stuff. Yeah. Um, but then at the end of that year, they went, do you want to stay?
1: Yeah.
2: And I thought, great, no more job interviews. So I stayed on. <laughs> and I sort of hadn't thought all the way through how that might be on my mental health a little bit. Right. Because a really dark time for me in my own brain had been high school when I felt really alone and walking through those very halls. Yeah. So I've had a really positive chance to rewrite history a little bit, walking around and feeling a lot more confident, seeing kids who were like me and being able to make connections. That's mm. been really nice. But especially during that last bit of the term when I was doing all the marking and everything was heads on, when I got the job interview, I was in a pretty low point because i hadn't felt like i'd made connections with the other staff there and i wasn't comfortable reaching out when i was a bit overwhelmed at the time right and then a few people saw that and helped me through which was really lovely but then coming back through i was worried that things would have changed because everyone thought our relationship would be temporary and i just kept second guessing myself so i started off on a little bit of a low and thankfully moved up very quickly from there into a more positive state but it was a bit stop and start at the beginning there emotionally for me. I was confident teaching at least the students because I knew their names and mm-hmm. had met them before and I was aware of the scope and sequence of the subject and I'd started off in English and I had been teaching English at that point then yeah. for most of that prac and then for that term that I'd been at the school already so I had a bit of practice. So I could go through the motions pretty easily but I was struggling struggling a little bit emotionally. and. I thought at the time that being at the school would help me and it ultimately really didn't for a bit there. Yeah. Especially because the classroom I was in was a classroom I had been in for uh, a history class and that SOS class, that history class I'd been in was one of the worst classes I'd had. Not in so much because the students were bad. It was all the same students I had every other class with or the teacher was bad. He was someone I really respected at the time. Yeah. But it just coincided with a really bad time for me in my family then, right. in, in year 10, yeah. which um, just ultimately clouded those memories. So it was a, a bit stuck in myself, but I think forcing myself to go back there and spend time there helped me come to terms with that a bit. Mm-hmm. And now ultimately I'm really comfortable at that school, probably yeah. a little bit too comfortable with the nicknames I give people sometimes, with their knowledge, I'd like to add, they're fully aware I give them nicknames and yeah. I sell them to their faces but I think it's getting to the point where we're all very familiar with each other. Yeah. And the teachers there that are taught me that are still there,
1: mm-hmm.
2: we all had a very fun period trying to figure out what name we call we each other call when each we're other, not in yes. front of students. And yeah. I was like, God, do I have to call you by your legal government name or can I keep going with your teacher name? <laughs> um, so that's a lot better now and I'm feeling really confident there. And I think I wouldn't have felt the same going to a brand new school ultimately. Yeah especially a big school and the school i'm at currently is one of the smaller schools still even though it's getting a lot bigger yeah. so that environment would have been great even if i hadn't had the context yeah. i think i would have struggled either way just with the way my brain goes but mm-hmm. now having been there for a year and just being conscious of how i changed throughout terms and i'm a i write in a diary pretty re- regularly mm-hmm. not as a full on habit but I've been trying to get more into just being conscious of my thoughts especially that turning off day to day from school Yeah. and just this is the thing that was really bugging me today before I can turn that part of my brain off I will write it down that way I can revisit it tomorrow if I need to like mm-hmm. if I need to check in on a student Yeah. but without having written it down I'm scared I'll forget it so I hold on to it too tight I think.
0: Push it down and then it comes up later.
2: Yeah and mm-hmm. then over the school holidays I was reading back through my notes and I could just see the way I seem to be more positive or focusing on more positive aspects So I had a really good day this student who had a fight with me last week was really happy to be in my class or make sure I check in on how well one student did with their test sort of thing and focusing on those more positive things I think was a sign that I was feeling a bit more positive even if I can't quite remember so that was really lovely to have the evidence before me that I was enjoying my job and I was getting something out of it but yeah
0: that's a like, I think that comes for all of us is like that, oh, God, I don't like... Uh, job sucks at the moment. And then, yeah, if you have it written down, you're like, oh, actually, there's a there's a bright spot here, 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 and here, and here. And it's how much you're dwelling on it really. It comes down to you. That's mm. how I feel anyway. It's like, well, I'm dwelling on the negatives more than the positive. That's on me because the same amount of negatives and positives seem to be happening. Mm. The classes that I teach, that seems to be positive. What's happening outside of the classes... Uh, and then eventually what's happening in your personal life can impact. That's the hard thing about teaching, being a human, is that the students don't have much consideration for how you're feeling today. Mm. How are you doing today? I have a student in my current class who every lesson says, how are you today out of 10? And it's always an interesting stopper to be like, how oh, How am I doing today? And then I can tell them, even within two weeks. like, oh, It's four today pretty tired I was a bit sick earlier in the week and my voice is sore and all that kind of stuff so that's been pretty useful to be like how am I feeling today out of 10 it's always a good way especially at the end of the day because sometimes you're just like oh it's the end of the day great you're not really you're still in the in the day's emotion if I can Mm, phrase it that way definitely so how do you what other methods do you have for like you said like getting stuck within yourself in your head overthinking Uh, you're an overthinker
2: yep definitely Um, it's my favorite hobby yeah um a really good way to get out of my head is to do something physically and that's something that my job really lends to being an art teacher um a little passion project i've been running at the school whether or not people also are passionate about it with me is i'm trying to get more and more into a ceramics program Mm. i have a lot of students who are really into it and my specialty is ceramics in my own art practice which i try to keep separate from the school. It's right. one of those things where don't make your hobby your yeah, job and can right. make it terrible. So yeah. being an art teacher, I think, has let me follow my bliss a little bit without bugging me down to having a set art business. Mm-hmm. I always thought if I wanted to break out into arts that it would actually end up being something I didn't enjoy anymore. Yeah. So teaching art and teaching the foundation still leaves me with enough time to pursue my very specific area that I'm passionate about Mm -hmm. without one or the other crossing and interacting and one ruining the other or one, I guess, peas and the mashed potatoes touching. (laughs) Um, Yep. (laughs) So, but I've been able to cross that barrier when I found students who were also really passionate about ceramics. Yeah. And I'm trying to get a kiln brought into the school. Right, nice. Which actually was something that got killed at the school the year before I started. You
0: mean literally exploded?
2: the wires were cut. I think it needed to be serviced or it oh, was right. out of, it had asbestos in it, or something something <laughs> terrible Some from the 90s. real problem,
0: yes, nuclear, <laughs> so we just run by nuclear power, that kind of, of, of it. thing. Yeah.
2: But because it had just been happening, when I hit year seven yeah. and I went into arts and I was like, I wanna to go touch everything. There was all this ceramics wear and oh, all this, right, right. the bats and the wheels and everything you needed to do ceramics, Yeah. but you couldn't actually you do, could it. do it. And right. the teacher didn't like it either, but I've always been into that medium and because it's one of the more physical mediums you can do even at a high school level of art. Yeah. I actually, I have a studio space that I uh, use. It's a class that I go to where it's sort of self-directed yeah. and it's run by a local ceramic artist. and she's lovely and bossy and just wonderful to keep me out of my head. She's doesn't hesitate to tell me if something i'm making is terrible or a waste of my time so i can just focus on making things (sighs) and making them until someone else tells me they're good so i don't even have to worry about if it's good or not sometimes and Mm. the times i do start getting in my head about oh this isn't evenly made or it's not centered and i'm trying not to use too specific terminology so everyone can understand what i mean yeah um i can just hold it up and be like is this good or not and she'll tell me straight up or the other Mm. five or six people in the class will be able to go and it's a lot easier to then get out of my head. Especially, it's on a Wednesday, so the middle of the week is usually when you either get too tired or things start to go wrong.
1: Yeah.
2: I can just sit down and for three hours, before I go to bed, because I fall asleep immediately after I get home pretty much, I can just sit there and do stuff with my hands and not have to think.
1: Yeah.
2: And I'm either forced to get out of my teacher brain, or I have no choice,
1: Yeah.
2: or I can put it aside at the door and then just, I'll think about it later and then I won't because I'm asleep. And it's a really good way to get out of my head and stay out of my head. And then I find Thursday morning, because I've had that forced break, Uh, I feel a bit more capable of whatever it is I need to do the rest Mm. of that day. And Thursday is my day where I'm on all classes. And the thing about my school is we have hour and a half lessons, Mm. which is brilliant for getting a project done in art. But it's a very long time to have one kid trying to figure out how to mix purple together.
0: (laughs) So... Like you said, like when you're in this art class and you say, is this good? When they say no, what do you, how do you react to that?
2: One of my favorite ways to make decisions is to have someone force me to make a decision and then based on my emotional reaction, I can tell wh- how I feel and right. that way I'm not consciously deciding. It's based on... Okay. Well, I am still consciously deciding, but you know there's like the conscious conscious and the yeah. slightly subconscious conscious. So if I go, is this shit? Yes. Did I waste the last 20 minutes making this? And they go, yeah. I can go, no, I didn't.
0: Mm-hmm. Screw you.
2: You guys are really wrong. And then I'm happy with it. I have no choice. <laughs> right. My pride has been attached to this moment. Right, right, right. If they go, I don't know about this. And they're like, it's terrible. It's shit. I'm like, cool. I can throw this away with no guilt. Because clay can be immediately recycled. So I yeah. don't even have to worry about having wasted that material. It's just the time spent. And I can then use that 20 minutes as practice or as meditation. Because I've just made something with no emotional attachment. It's gone. it's gone, I don't have to worry about that anymore. And as well, if something's upsetting me at ceramics and I don't like it, I can then get rid of it. And that's not something I can do day to day at work. If something's irritating you, you usually have to power through it.
0: I'm going to suggest that you try that. What if you could just do that in teaching?
2: What, just remove the child from the classroom? Well, I don't you can't think do with that's the allowed. Child. I
0: mean, what you can control, the work you're doing, the work you're preparing, mm-hmm. to say, is what I'm preparing, is this shit? is this good and then if someone says no and you look at it and you're like yeah it's good or if you go yeah it is just throw it away like the clay and reuse it it's recyclable all that work is recyclable that's why you know you take notes never throw anything away
2: yeah but then if i threw something out my meticulously planned 20-week script yeah. and sequence would yeah. be thrown out of whack
0: yeah how about you what if you've like i said it's it's your art Amber, it's like the art, But Relax. it's colour
2: coordinated. Yeah, I'm
0: sure it's colour coordinated. <laughs> Does it bring you as much joy as the pottery?
2: It looks really pretty. Does it bring
0: you as much no. joy? All right, so it's not about, all right, I'll just do, I'll just treat my work like pottery and then everything will be fine. It's how do you get to a place where you're moving that lovely colour-coded 20-week plan to be more like what brings you joy rather than separate? mm that's, that'd be my advice
2: uh i'll take note of like that I, like actually
0: I, like i say to everyone why don't you just not do that
2: <laughs> actually i did that today yeah uh i'm about to start so i teach photography and it's not my background even though it's within the art spectrum i in a uni term it was never actually part of what was offered at university in arts Yeah. photography is a media science or the only art that you would do would be film photography right which wasn't anywhere near my wheelhouse that I could do at uni. I was sculpture, printmaking, ceramics. Yeah. Part of that was by choice, but also that's what was being offered at ANU at the time. So I haven't done photography ever as a student.
1: Right.
2: I've done it as a hobby. I was given a camera because my brother, my twin brother is very into photography and has been ever since high school yeah. and because that wasn't a subject we could do at the high school
1: mm.
2: because we had one art teacher and as much as I love him, he was a technophobe. Yeah. He didn't teach photography at all. Why would you ever ask him to do that? I think was yeah. the way he would phrase things. <laughs> um, kudos to him, he could have that power. Yeah. But because my brother was really into photography and we are twins, we both got a camera, one birthday, right. which was brilliant, I love my camera. I still use it to this day and I've only broken it once. <laughs> um, I spent a lot of time when I was given this class just practicing a million things and how to get things perfect and how what all the buttons do. And yeah. the first thing the kids always ask me, even the ones that have touched a camera before that looks remotely similar is, what does this button do? Mm -hmm. But it's the shutter button, like how to take photos. And it says on it, shutter, which I suppose is a term not all of them will be familiar with. But it it gives me a moment to remind myself that as much as I'm going to practice, these kids are still just beginners. And as long as I'm a step ahead of them and I can adapt to suit those needs, I want them to have fun. It's an elective. It's something they've chosen to do. And if they're not enjoying it as well as getting education out of it, there's no point. They're going to stop doing the work if they're not enjoying it to Mm. a degree, especially in classes which are historically deemed a bludge yeah so it's definitely that i start off every year with a lecture on there's a difference between doing art at home which is just a fun thing that you do or you're passionate about and doing art for a purpose yeah especially when that purpose is then education because i then have to be able to get data from it and that data means some of it has to be the same yeah whether it's just your rationale it's all based on my identity even if it looks different or it's all based on the color yellow yeah there still has to be something shared, which means there has to be something prescribed, which in theory removes the soul of art because yes. all art is creative and individual. And yeah, you own deconstruct
0: and something, you turn it to dust. Yeah. yeah.
2: So it's a mm. funny game between where I just instead a lot of the time call art class artistic class because mm. you're not being an artist, you're being artistic. You're adding artistic elements to things. Mm. So by reminding myself that the kids, they're just kids, they're not scary, they're not going to demand everything from me, I don't have to show them how the camera was invented and the whole history of it and every photo ever taken
0: yeah they don't stop and say but you haven't yeah what about the things you left out
2: and then especially if i'm honest with them going i can teach you these things this is what i can give to you yeah but this is it and drawing that line and depending on who the students are and once i get a feel of how they react i might even tell them i never studied art as a student i've yeah. taught myself this based on what i think you will need mm-hmm if what I've thought you need is different than what you think you need, we can have that discussion and I'll get back to you. So photography definitely been the class that I've been updating as I go along. And yeah. then today or starting this week, I was going to be doing a different project with my class, just a basic, take some photos and then here's some basic editing. I want you to use the cut tool. I want you to use the color change wand mm-hmm. on Pixlr as a free site.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and, I realized that there's three students that did photography with me twice last year and 20 students who have never touched a camera in their life. And then one who's a film photography savant, which is three vastly different effort grades, just as well as vastly different attention spans. So I needed to find something that would not bore everyone to tears, but I wasn't even looking for enjoyment at that point. I was just, what is something that you can all do? that I'm not going to get yelled at by one of you for or someone's not going to refuse to do it for because I need some sort of pre-assessment that I can mark you on just in the first little bit. So I have this one task that we do that I came up with like out of my ass Mm -hmm. in the middle of feeling really bad last year and not being able to teach and not being able to brain. So I was just like at a supermarket looking at the section with the bad magazine and going, Mm -hmm. that's a photo. So the task is for kids to take only five photos, which is really hard because they're always taking a million. Yeah, right. You have to curate five photos and then further curate to one and that is your magazine cover. Pick a popular magazine name and check that on the top so you have some font and that's right. one tool that they need to do is use a font.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And then the other five form your article and maybe they write something over at the top of it but at that point I stopped caring a little bit. Yeah. And I've taken that task from last year, this week, and I've gone, just because I need something I can throw at you, this is something pre-made. But what I was originally going to do with them was an in-depth written task about the different buttons of a camera because that was the feedback I got last year was a lot of the kids still didn't know what some of the buttons did, even though they were never interested when I tried to show them the buttons.
0: What does this button do?
2: (laughs) That one is a viewfinder. It doesn't change anything, I promise, no matter how many times you touch it.
0: Oh, God. All right, well, we're going to have to wrap it up. Sounds like you're... Uh, a quality teacher, shall we put it that way? Ugh. I don't want to give you too many compliments, and I know it makes you uncomfortable. So let's say adequate. How about adequate?
2: Possible. At Competent. Best.
0: Possible at best. I'm sure I wrote that on your report card. <laughs> anyway, thanks, Amber. That's it. Thank you. Possible at best. <laughs>